Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk dimes. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumor. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future. Let's talk present. Let's talk past. Fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow. Stango running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. This is the Great Point Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. We're continuing the draft series with a very, very special guest today, UCLA legend Don McLean, the Pac-12's all-time leading scorer, one of the best basketball broadcasters in the country, and a man who has changed the lives of quite a few NBA draft prospects. CAA Sports sends their clients to Don to improve their draft stock, and he's worked out some absolute stars, Paul George, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, Adam Morrison, Devin Booker, just to name a few. And now Don McLean joins me for a second time on the Great Point Podcast. Don, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, get into this. Don, I'm, I'm curious, how did this relationship with CAA first start? Well, I first started doing it for Priority Sports and Mark Bartlestein way before you know, about a year or two after I retired from playing, and a guy that was at Priority at the time, Aaron Mintz, four years ago left and went to CAA. And kind of, at the time, CAA actually didn't have a pre-draft process. They had players, and they just kind of had them work out on their own and then go work out for teams. And and Aaron kind of sold them on, you know, me and and taking the pre-draft process a little more seriously and getting it set up and there's a guy where I live by the name of Ryan Capretta who runs a place called Proactive Sports Performance and I'd always kind of wanted to work with him anyway so when that happened I told Aaron I said look we got the perfect setup out here in Thousand Oaks where they can come to me and then literally right down the street is where Proactive is and so me and Ryan for the last four years have worked together in, in getting these guys ready for not only the combine but getting them ready to go work out for teams. What's the first message that you give to these kids when you first get in the gym with them? Well, that it's going to be a little different. This isn't in, in, in what I learned along the way. And I, and I kind of knew and, in you know, I'm a little unique in this, Adam, and I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but there's not a lot of trainers out there that not only went through the pre-draft process, but played in the league for a long time. And it's still involved in the NBA through broadcasting. Um, and then the experience of having done it for so long, I figured out that this isn't about improving so much your game. It's about polishing up your game in a short period of time so that when you go work out for teams, you can improve your draft status. You know, everybody's got a range and I tell them, I'm like, you know, whatever your range is, we're looking for the higher end of the range. So if your range is 15 to 25, we want to get to 15. And so it that makes the actual workouts a little bit different. It's more condensed. It's more about what they look like. I don't have time to change shot mechanics or big picture things like that, but there's little tweaks we can make and things that they need to have so that when they get in front of these teams, they look like they're more like an NBA player already, you know, guarding screen role, guards being able to play and pick and roll and 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 make good decisions and and look comfortable in that situation. You know, in no team's the same, so we have to be ready for everything. Um, you know, some teams don't do a lot of live stuff. Some teams go all live. You know, some teams, you know, really uh, 
put an emphasis on shooting and, and skill work in the workout versus some teams are more interested in the testing, the physical testing and in the interview. Um, so it's my job to make sure that wherever they go, whatever team they're going to work out for, they, they don't get they don't get hit with something we haven't already covered. All right. Well, to that to that point, um, you take any draft prospect and you can look online or you could talk to scouts or you can listen to game broadcasts and people are going to pick apart what they like for the kids strengths and what they what they are going to dislike for the weaknesses. But, you know, it may vary across the board. So in terms of improving some of the weaknesses or even brushing up on some of the strengths, what are you basing where you want to get that kid to be? Where are you basing that from? Are you hearing from scouts or are you, you know, um, the well, teams themselves? Where, where does that you know, start from? That, that's the beauty of what I do in, in broadcasting is not only do I do college games for the Pac-12 network, but I do NBA games. But because I'm still involved in the college game, I get a chance to see a lot of these guys. So I already know them. And it, if I haven't seen them a lot, CAA will send me game tapes. So that I, I have a pretty good handle on what they can do well, what they don't do well. And I'll tell you across the board, Adam, it really, college players aren't as good a shooters as they will be. And so if a team say, look, for instance, Chris Dunn, who I had this year, he wasn't asked to shoot a lot at Providence because he could blow by anybody he wanted because he's so explosive. So people question how good of a shooter is well when he got to me i'm sitting there saying well you know what this guy's a pretty good shooter better shooter than i had heard and seen and so the reason i'm saying that is everybody wants to see these guys shoot and they want to see if they can shoot and what level of shooter they are well we just need them to be a good enough shooter so that people don't say they can't shoot because inevitably and i see it all the time you know we have veteran guys that come back and will work out with us like this year alfred payton came back Bobby Portis came back. Julius Randle came back. So these guys come back, and they're noticeably better shooters after a year or two in the NBA than they were during the pre-draft process. So what I try and do is we get up a lot of shots. And the NBA line is, and it sounds stupid, but it's true, it's only a couple feet. The NBA line is a big difference or in a big jump from the college line. And so we spend a lot of time behind that line getting these guys comfortable so that when they go to the teams, it doesn't look like they can't make that shot. Now, they're not going to be as consistent as NBA players are right now, but in a short period of time, just by repetition and maybe tweaking a little bit of stuff mechanically on these guys, we can get them shooting to a level where teams are saying, wow, this guy's a better shooter than we thought. Mm, interesting. I'm curious, before we get to the players themselves, just in terms of that shooting aspect that you just brought up, What's the more difficult part for them to get from that distance? Catch and shoot from that distance or, or pulling up? It's definitely pulling up. Um, but again, most of the drills they do, I mean, they'll do some stuff off the bounce, but especially for bigs, you know, mm -hmm. the game is so much about ball movement now that they really want to just see catch and shoot. Um, but what's interesting and in how this has evolved, you know, and how you can see the NBA game evolving is how much bigs are now required to be able to shoot. You know, it's a big part. You know, it used to be there'd be two separate workouts for bigs and for smalls, and the smalls would spend more time behind the line. Now the bigs are spending just as much time from behind the line. And when these guys go out like Pirtle and Damian Jones, two guys I had this year, they went out for a couple workouts, 
and I came back in and they both said to me, now I know why we spend so much time behind the three-point line because we shot a ton of them at our <laughs> workouts. And that, that's way different than it was even probably four or five years ago. All right. So you just mentioned you had Pirtle, Damian Jones from Vanderbilt, uh, Ron Baker, Wichita State's guard that everyone became familiar with over the last you know four years in, in college basketball, Tyler Eulis from Kentucky, uh, Dunn, you referred to Alex Poitras from Kentucky, a couple of French prospects. So out of that whole group, first and foremost, who stood out the most to you just when you saw them maybe different from what, what you saw on TV? Well, here's how it worked, Adam. And it's a little bit, you know, I guess I'll just say this is kind of a, uh, as a disclaimer, you know, they don't all come in at the same time because of school requirements and finishing semesters and even deciding on going with CAA. So they all come in. They're all staggered. I, I wish they would all come in at the same time, but it's just not possible. So Chris Dunn came in the earliest anybody's ever come in. We started April 4th with him, which is about two weeks earlier than normal. We usually get going somewhere around the 15th, in between the 15th and the 20th, and then guys start trickling in after that. So I really got to know Chris. He went one on O for almost two weeks by himself, which is really difficult because the way we structure our workouts, you know, it's, it's, there's not a lot of stopping. And mm -hmm. so it was hard on him, but, um, he stood out not only because he went one on O, but as, as people started coming in, he became the leader of our group with his toughness and his effort and his competitiveness and I'm telling you, and if you know his background story, which it's starting to get out there and what he went through as a kid and stuff with his mom and him and his brother living at home by themselves for a while and all the stuff that he's gone through to be in the position that he's in and the player that he is. But more importantly than that, Adam, the kid he is, because as I've done this and I've been around basketball forever, usually the really tough, I mean, super tough guys are usually a-holes on the back end. Right. And Chris Dunn is as tough as they come, and he might be the best kid I've had in 12 years of doing this. And so you put that combination together, not only with his measurables, his size, his long arms, and his ability. I mean, he's he's one of my favorite guys I've ever had doing this, and he, and he's the one that really, really stood out. Wow. Well... All right. In saying all that, then we know about Dunn as as an explosive guard. We know about him as as a defensive guy. People are excited about him being a defender at the NBA level right now. Should a team be interested in taking Dunn then one or two, considering, you know, right now it's pretty much seems like a consensus that Ben Simmons is going to go one and Ingram's going to go two. Well, what these GMs have to deal with, which whether they should or not, is the court of public opinion. And right, right. It's been talked about for so long that Simmons and Ingram are one and two. You are really putting yourself on the line if you don't take one of those guys at one or two because if it doesn't work out, you're going to be second-guessed for the next 12 years about it if you still have your job by then. So do I think that Chris Dunn's in the category of Ingram and Simmons? Absolutely. Do I think somebody will take him one or two? Probably not, but I, I do think, because I've seen Simmons all the way back to his sophomore year of high school, I've seen Ingram back to his high school um, back to his high school days, and I absolutely think that Chris Dunn's in that category, and the reason I say that, and why probably other people aren't saying that, is they don't know 
that he's a way better shooter than people think. And, and there's such, and we've already talked about it. There's such an emphasis now on shooting in the NBA that that's what's holding him back. But what's interesting in saying that is Simmons and Ingram aren't great shooters either. I mean, Ingram's better than Simmons, but those two guys have got a ways to go in making NBA threes as well. So, and, and I get a little biased in this just because I invest so much in these guys and they invest so much in me in the process and we spend a lot of time together. But I can't, and I told you before we came on the air, a lot of NBA people call me trying to get info on these guys. How we're Not so much about what type of player they are, but how was he? Was he coachable? Was he on time? And all that stuff. So I can't BS guys. And just because I get to know these guys and like these guys, I can't give people that call me evaluations that aren't true. And so mm-hmm. I'm treating you like an NBA GM right now, Adam. <laughs> well, I appreciate I'm, I'm, I'm giving you, I'm not BSing you for the sake of this being a, a, a media medium, but I really do believe that at the end of the day, Chris Dunn, if Singer, if Simmons and Ingram, who are going to be who everyone thinks they're going to be, I think that Dunn's going to be in that group with them as probably an all-star before it's all said and done. Wow, I love it. I love it. Well, and it's interesting, Don. I mean, I don't think anyone who knows you uh, <laughs> who knows you pretty well would ever qualify you as a, as a BS guy anyhow. So yeah. uh, you always tell it to people straight. And I, I appreciate that certainly um, with the honesty, but, but it's interesting because you're right. You know, from a PR standpoint, I mean, that's all we've heard for, well, first, all we've heard was Ben Simmons lock number one, and then always another dark horse guy comes in and says, oh, maybe he should be the number one pick. And then it becomes just a consensus who the top two are. But I love Chris Dunn's game. And I think the hard part for people on the outside to ever evaluate and what you really get to understand about as well as anyone is just the work ethic of these kids. Because anytime you talk to anyone that's associated with the NBA, it's the number one thing that they you can't tell. I mean, maybe you can get hints of it from watching tape, but to get the kind of insight that you have and what kind of player he can become. And you know that as well as anyone being in the league, especially for as long as, as you were. Yeah, and, and I'm surprised that more guys don't call me, to be honest, because I can tell, again, I have these guys, I shoot, I had done for seven and a half weeks. Um, he just left. I can tell you if they're going to be a guy that, that, that is going to, I can't, I can't determine if they're, how, what their ceiling is going to be. I don't, I can't tell you how, how great they're going to be, but I can tell you guys that I think aren't going to get to where they're supposed to be based on, who they are with me day in and day out. And there was a guy a couple of years ago, I'm not going to say his name, but if you feel like doing the research, he was a 17th pick um, two years ago. I knew based on dealing with him for a while that he was never going to be what he should have been. And furthermore, talent wise had no business being the 17th pick should have been a top five pick, but because word started to get out of, of, of his personality and his lack of work ethic, he dropped to 17, and now we're a couple years later, and he hasn't done anything in the league. Wow. So from that standpoint, you know, I can tell, and I'll tell you this, Chris Dunn doesn't want to be good. He wants to be great. And there were days where I could tell that he wasn't feeling great, whether we had had a hard workout the day before, or whether he had a tough lift the day before, and I could tell he was – he was a little sore and we'd been going for, you know, three or four weeks by then. And I could see him just making himself push through it. And those are little things, but that's, those are signs to me 
of guys who are going to continue to work and continue to try and be great. And, and again, I have no doubt that Chris Dunn, because of his will and his work ethic, is going to be one of the really good players in the NBA. Another reason why I'm shocked that teams probably aren't calling you even more than they are, and I know lots of teams and, and lots of NBA executives, scouts are reaching out, but I'm shocked that more of them aren't because, you know, if you talk to a college coach, it's in their best interest for these kids to be drafted really high. They don't have, um, you know, their future doesn't necessarily depend on the honesty of their commentary. It depends yeah. on, you know, how high a kid's drafted, whereas you you don't necessarily have that. On Dunn, look, you were in the NBA for years, and you couldn't be more familiar with the NBA game now. Is there a guy who comes to mind that maybe he reminds you of that you played with or against? You know, just getting back to that point real quick, and, I, and I'll say this, and, I, and I, I have enough relationships, and the guys that do call me have known me forever, so they know I'm not going to be like that. But I think to answer the question of why everyone's not calling me is, number one, that not every team's drafting in the range of certain guys. But right. that being said, at one point I think I had 10 guys out here, so somebody's got to fall in their range. Uh, but I also think there's a little bit of they think that I'm going to sell my guys for CAA. And so I get caught in that as well, because obviously CA wants me to hype our guys up and get them drafted higher, and I want them to get drafted higher. But if I'm going to continue to do this, I can't say, oh, this kid works his, his tail off, and then they draft him and they get him, and they're like, what the heck was McLean talking about? This guy's late every day, doesn't work, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it, that they think I'm going to overhype guys for the sake of CAA and where they get drafted, but... As you said earlier, if you know me, I'm not I'm not going to do that. As much as is I'm appreciative of CAA to to allow me to do this and they pay me pretty well to do it. You know, I got to kind of I got to kind of, you know, toe that line both ways. You know, being being true to myself and evaluating guys, you know, uh, honestly versus being a good team guy for CAA and I think, you know, I I've been doing it long enough and and have talked to these guys for long enough that that I've been able to do it. Getting back to Don, you know, everybody kind of kind of put the Wall John Wall comparison on him coming out. I happen to think he's he's kind of in between Wall and Westbrook. He's more explosive, I think, than Wall, and that's saying something because Wall's pretty explosive. But Russell Westbrook's the most explosive athlete in the game, so I think he's somewhere in between. I think coming out of college, Dunn's a better shooter than Wall was. I work with Wall a little bit pre-draft. Um, and Dunn's a better shooter than he is. I think Dunn's a better defender than John Wall was. He's not as explosive as Westbrook and doesn't have the offensive game that Westbrook has. But I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna come close at some point. I really do. Oh, that's seriously high praise, and uh, yeah. and, and I love it. I, lo- I love this this insight. Another point guard you you had I mentioned earlier, Tyler Ulis, Kentucky. A lot of people. Love Ulysses, despite his his size. They you know they love the heart and all that. I'm curious as to a guy like Ulysses and Dunn when you're dealing with point guards and you're working them through a lot of drills and trying to get them better. How is it that you're able to determine how well they play the point guard position in terms of seeing the floor, setting up teammates? Um, what is it that you're working on that maybe can give you a, a sense as to how well they do that? Well, Ulysses came in late. 
But he came out last year and paid his own way to work out with the guys for a week. So I was kind of familiar with him already. He had to come late this year. You know, the Kentucky guys always come late because of how their semester falls and how they have to finish the quarter or semester, whatever system they go by. But here's the thing with Euless. He's not going to stand out in drills and shooting drills and whatever drill we do. He's not going to really stand out, although he's a very good shooter. He stands out in live action two on two three on three his team seems to always win and you know you're watching you're watching the three on three unfold and he's not really sticking out but his team wins every time because of his ability to set guys up for him to manage manage the action meaning communicating getting guys in the right spots delivering the ball on time all those things that good point guards need to do and I think that's what's going to happen with him I hate that it's come out that he's got these hip issues, you know, and and I hadn't heard anything about that, but it's coming out now. But to be honest, I never once saw any problems when he was working out here with his hips. You know, he never complained about it. I never saw anything wrong with his gait or anything. So it's interesting that people are saying that. Um, but that's what you're, that's what you're, that's what you're drafting Tyler Eulis on is for now a quality backup player that really knows how to play and that is going to be uh, counted on to, you know, manage your team and manage the offense. Um, defensively, he's really good on the ball, although small, and that's, you know, you said it earlier, that's going to be the knock. But to me, the kid's a winner, and he gets it done despite his size. And I think he's so good because of his size, Adam. I think his size has always been talked about, and I think that's just motivated him even more to be a better player. You know, he's a great kid. I think I think he's going to be a good NBA player for a long time. We see point guards now on the NBA level. You talked about Westbrook, guys like Kyle Lowry, um, certainly Kyrie Irving, Steph. Uh, the elite point guards in the NBA – are able to score as well as as well as anybody. Just getting back to Dunn for a second, do you think that he can score at that level? Not yet, but I don't think any guard can come into the league and score like that. You know, maybe a you right. know, an Iverson fifteen years ago or twenty years ago, whenever that was, could. But I think Dunn will get there. You know, one thing that we really worked on and he wanted to work on and I told him he needed was a runner floater game. And so we started early when he was here by himself of really breaking that down and working on it individually. And it was fun to watch that evolve as players started coming in and we were able to play it live. And by the end, he really started to trust it and he really started to shoot it. And he, and better than that, he started to make it. And so those are things that just evolve over time. You know, when Westbrook came into the league, he wasn't near the player he is now. And it takes time to figure out the speed of the NBA game. Um, it takes time to figure out angles. It takes time to figure out scouting reports and what you can do against certain guys, what you can't. Um, you know, even Curry. Curry wasn't this way when he came into the league. So, again, when you put everything together with Dunn, with his will, his determination, his work ethic, his measurables, his heart, all that stuff, you got to believe that in three or four years, he's going to be on that level with those guys. Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly insightful. I want to talk about the bigs for a second. Uh, you had Jakob Pertl, uh You watched Marquise Chris of Washington uh, all year long. Henry Ellenson from Marquette is, is also in that mix as guys that 
are bigs that could be drafted pretty high. Uh, what are your thoughts on the two Pac-12 kids? First off, Pirtle, who obviously you've been working out for, for quite a while now, and on uh, Chris, who you saw all year long. Well, Pirtle, again, getting back to what we initially started talking about, Pirtle wasn't asked to do a lot outside the paint at Utah, and for good reason. I mean, nobody could stop him. He commanded double teams, so that's the way they played. But what stood out to me was two things when he got here. I knew watching him at Utah for a 7-1 guy, he had great hands and great feet. When he got here, his feet were even better than I thought. He really, for a guy his size, can move his feet. And that's going to help him because I said earlier, you, you know, bigs now have to be able to guard screen roll multiple ways. They have to be able to pick and pop. They have to be able to switch onto smaller guys and stay in front of them. So I think that's really going to help him in, in when teams evaluate him of what a, what a, bon- not a bonus, but what a, what a asset that is for, for Jakob. And the second thing is, is he can really shoot. He, I'm not going to say he's out to three point range yet, but from, 17 to 20, he's much better than I thought, um, and I think he'll be much better. In, in fact, Phoenix called me the other day, and they couldn't believe how well he shot it, just because they had never seen it. They, you know, right. you could probably count on both hands how many times he shot perimeter jumpers at Utah. So those two things, I think, are really going to get him drafted high. Um, I think he's probably somewhere in the 8 to 13 range, um, and I think that's where he'll go. You know, like a lot of bigs, he's still got to work on his body, playing through contact, absorbing contact, delivering contact. But that's normal. And, and NBA teams understand that, that the rules are different in college. You know, there's a lot more physicality in the NBA. And he'll get there. The one thing, the other thing that was really, you know, because I had so many guys this year and I've had so many guys throughout the years, the one thing, he might be the best at this I've ever seen, where he can take information and apply it immediately like a certain move or a certain technique you show him or you tell him and the next play he's able to do it which if you stop and think about that makes sense because he made so much improvement in two years at Utah now that's a credit to the Utah staff but I also think it's a credit to his ability to do that to be able to take coaching take information and put it to use right away and how about Chris you know I think he's a big upside pick it's helping him that he's so young and I was telling somebody the other day, I you know, I think the Pac-12 tournament this year is when he really started turning heads. And I remember doing their game. I forget who they were playing. But he had about an eight-minute stretch in that game. And I think I even said it on the broadcast where he looked like a pro. I mean, it was pro moves. He was at the rim. He was showing athleticism. He was knocking down jumpers. And you're sitting there saying, man, this guy looks like an NBA 3-4 right now. And I think Again, his age is helping him because everyone will talk about the upside and how much room he has to grow. Um, but certainly the measurables are there for him to become an MB- a good NBA player. You know, I didn't have him, so I don't know how he works and how much he wants it. But I think teams are looking at him and saying that, that, hey, look, he's already pretty good. He's shown flashes of being great. So with his age and his, and his physical tools, we don't want to miss on a guy that could be a really, really good NBA player in a couple of years. You know, Don, we, we hear a lot about the international prospects just at the top of the draft sometimes, but other guys that might be, you know, late first round, early second, late second. Um, those guys you often don't hear about unless they've played on, 
you know, big international stage um, and yet can still provide, obviously, a ton of value to NBA teams moving forward, whether they bring them over right away or, or do a draft and stash. You had a couple of the French prospects this year. What can you tell us about those guys? Well, what's interesting about the international guys, and it hurts them, is sometimes they've already played a couple years of pro. And so depending on their age, you know, the upside thing kind of goes out the window, and teams are so big on that in drafting what could be in a couple of years. A lot of these international guys, they assume already are, if you know what I mean. And so mm-hmm. if you're a young international guy like a Porzingis that hasn't played a lot of pro ball and is still young enough to where you're saying to yourself, well, he's still got a ton of room to grow. Those are the guys that are really attractive. But the two guys I had, Gershon Yabaselli from France, has already played a couple years, um, but he's unique. He's 6'8", 270, but only 13% body fat. You know, he, And what's even more interesting <laughs> about him is he can really shoot. Um, for a guy, usually those guys are just bangers inside and they rebound and they get putbacks and, you know, they bully guys on the block. He's a little different. He can do all that, but he can also step out. And for a guy that size, he's got more lift than most of the, I mean, he looks like, he looks like a Carl Landry, um, type of player, but he's got some lift to him, um, especially off of one leg. So he's interesting and he's a great kid and he works really hard and he's moving up. He's had some really good workouts already for teams, but he, he's, he's one of those guys, Adam, that a lot of guys will look at him and say, yeah, that's not going to work in the NBA. But as you know, in the draft, it only takes one team to like you. And mm-hmm. I have a feeling he may sneak into that late first round. Um, the other kid, Isaiah, Isaiah Cordinier, young kid, 19. Six five six six, really springy, um, off guard. Not a point guard, off guard. Can shoot it. I think will become a better shooter. The thing I liked about Cordinier the best, which you don't see a lot um, of these international guys coming over, is he's really got some edge to him. Like he went after everybody. They 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 both got here late. They were only here for a couple of weeks. They came in right when Eulis came in. And he came in, and he was going after Dunn. He was going after Baker, and I really like that. And I think that that's going to help him, that he's not going to have to get used to, what do you want to call it, the fierceness of the NBA, that he's already got a little bit of uh, <laughs> little bit of toughness, a little bit of edge to him. I love it. I love it. Uh, if you were drafting first overall, and um, if you're a GM of an NBA team, and you've been told that you have to pick between – Simmons and and Ingram because I'm not going to allow you to to pick Chris Dunn for PR reasons. Right, right. Which one of those guys would you draft first overall? Let let me tell you this, and this is no knock on Ingram. If Simmons had gone to Duke or Kentucky or Kansas, there wouldn't even be a discussion about who's number one. Because he went to LSU, the team struggled. They put him in a situation where he was kind of a point forward, so he didn't really shoot much. And so everybody's nitpicking this and, you know, just the whole experience of him going to LSU just took the momentum out of it. Because you're right, and you mentioned it earlier, a year ago, Simmons was the hands-down number one pick similar, and I'm not going to say he's going to be this guy, but similar to LeBron coming out, where no question, this guy's the number one pick. But as the year went on, stuff started to happen. They weren't winning. They didn't get into the NCAA tournament. Um so everybody's just picking them apart to where now Ingram, who came on late, had a great NCAA tournament, 
Now you're saying to yourself, well, he might be better than Simmons. No chance. You don't pass on guys this size that have this much skill already. You just don't. And what have we been saying throughout this entire podcast? Guys get better at shooting once they get to the NBA. So if all you're telling me is you're concerned about Simmons being able to shoot, well, give him a year in the league, and I bet you he'll be able to shoot. To me, it's not even a question. And I have a feeling when it's all said and done, Simmons will be the number one pick. Yeah, I, it certainly uh, would seem that way. That you know, that's that's where at least the Sixers are are leaning. You bring it up, Don. I, I've talked about this before, but I love Simmons. I mean, you can look at the numbers and say, all right, the guy averaged nineteen points, twelve boards, and five assists a game, which you don't see at the college level. Um, but it was just in watching the game, things that people weren't even talking about. Yeah, he brings the ball up, and that was unique. But also, his first step is incredibly quick. He finishes really well uh, around the hoop. And, you know, his vision's just crazy. Anyone who watched him play, he just has a different sense of the game. He reminded me in, in some ways, just in terms of his size and just sort of his ease on the floor, I, he's a better passer than than he was. But Danny Manning, I go back to, and I, I know it's a, an odd comparison, but Danny Manning could bring the ball up for Kansas sometimes, and I've seen him throw, you know, behind the back passes and do some different things. Early days of Danny Manning is sort of where I, I sometimes see in, in Simmons. Who would you compare him to that you've seen through the years? That, that's actually a pretty good comparison. I hadn't thought of that. It, it'd be interesting to watch Danny Manning coming out right now in this day and age and what that would look like. You know, here's the thing. In this day and age of the NBA, it's about ball movement, spacing, and versatility. And Simmons can be versatile. He's big enough to post up smaller guys. He can bring it up the floor. He can really pass. He's a versatile player. And Ingram is too. And I think that's why he's so so well thought of despite his frame. But you look at those numbers, as you mentioned. You look at his size and his ability we don't see those guys a lot. You don't see guys that are all a 6'10 with ball handling skills and passing skills like that. So whatever the knock is, you can fix. But if you're starting with that size and that skill and that versatility, I don't think you can pass that up because they don't come around all that often. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh Simmons's teammate in high school was a guy you're obviously real familiar with and D'Angelo Russell. And obviously this year, Don, you know, it became huge public story, the back and forth between Byron Scott and you. And I think you essentially said what everyone that was watching D'Angelo Russell at Ohio State, at Montverde, and in the pros was screaming, why aren't you on a bad Lakers team letting this kid play? I'm curious as to just for you how this whole situation shook out and um you know and why you were the one guy publicly saying it when everyone else was keeping quiet. Well, what happened? Well, I think some guys were talking about it. What happened was as I mentioned during a Laker Clipper game, I was doing the third quarter which we did a lot this year with Ralph Smith, Ralph Lawler and Mike Smith. And we started cuz the game was a blowout, we started talking about the Lakers and I just said and I didn't say it in a any in an any other way than I was just kind of thinking out loud why the young guys for the Lakers aren't just being let go to figure it out for themselves when they have 12 wins or 10 wins or whatever they had late in the season. So then a beat reporter from the Lakers heard it on the broadcast and a couple of days later practice asked Byron about it 
and he essentially popped off like I didn't know what I was talking about. And so that, you know, obviously got me fired up. And I went on a local radio show, Petros and Money, and addressed it and just said what I really thought about it and what I thought about where the Lakers were at and why, you know, they are where they were and, you know, why D'Angelo wasn't performing at the level that, you know, a lot of us thought he could and should be. And, you know, from then on, which was interesting, about a week later, all of a sudden D'Angelo's playing 30 minutes a night and he's throwing (laughs) up 30-point games. So I didn't do it. And listen, before all that happened, and I hope I'm still friends with Byron Scott, but it really wasn't in a attacking Byron Scott manner. It was talking about the situation. And so, to me, it was unfortunate, but if somebody's going to pop off, you know me, I'm not going to back away from that. And so I said what I thought. Yeah, I know his comments were along the lines of, you know, well, this guy isn't coaching. John doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it, that couldn't be further from the truth, not to mention the fact that, you know, and I, I saw the comments that you had on, on the radio show that you thought he may not even know that I, I worked this guy out. So I know, know his background. He didn't Incred- know, which is interesting because I did a private workout for him and the rest of the Lakers front office last year for Carl. And so you would think it would come up like, hey, who else are you working out? They came to see Towns. They had no chance of getting Towns because Minnesota had the number one pick. So you would think at some point the conversation would would evolve into, oh, you have D'Angelo Russell. He's a top five projected pick. What do you think about him? They never even asked about him and then drafted him. (laughs) Well, it tells you. It tells you everything right there, I I think. So on, on that point, Don, D'Angelo Russell, we, you know, you're working him out last year. Then you saw this year, you know, again, we saw the flashes. We saw the one thing that I think surprised everybody was just really how well he shot it in stretches and how, how nice his shot looked at, at times. He really didn't turn it over much. I, we didn't see that the flashy, uh, passer that, that, um, was really creative off the dribble and everything that I that I really want to see out of D'Angelo Russell that I saw was there both in high school and at Ohio State. So what do you think the future holds for him? Well, here's the thing. I coached D'Angelo in a couple high school things in the summer before he went to Ohio State. And at that time, at least for me, because he was on my team, I thought he was just kind of a catch-and-shoot guy. You know, an, an, a, a, a two-guard that could make some plays off the dribble. So then he goes to Ohio State, and all of a sudden, Thad gives him the keys to the car, and he's leading. He's a point guard. He's making all these passes, and you know didn't have to space the floor with his shooting as much, but he was such a great playmaker. And I'm like, wow, where'd this come from? So then he gets, after the season, he comes to me, and understanding who he became or who he really was at Ohio State, and working him out every day, it really came to the forefront of what a great passer he is. And I think to really be comfortable, and for that skill to really come out, Adam, you have to really be confident and in charge of what you're doing offensively within the offense. And I don't think last year he ever got comfortable in their offense. I don't think he ever really just, because it was so choppy for most of the season where he'd play, then he wouldn't play, he'd never get big stretches of minutes and games. So I think at the very end, when he was getting big chunks of minutes, he started to get more confident and more comfortable in what they were trying to do. So you saw it a little bit more. But I don't think the 
what do I call it? The, 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 I don't want to call it greatness, but the, the, the great passing and the great playmaking of D'Angelo isn't going to come until he becomes 100% comfortable in what they're doing. So it's going to be interesting, the dynamic between him and Luke next year and what kind of responsibility Luke is willing to give him. Like, is he going to do what dad did and said, here you go, D'Angelo, figure it out. And because I think in getting to know D'Angelo, that's when he's at his best. Now, that's a hard thing for an organization in the NBA to do, to say, give it to a kid. But isn't that what you do with number two picks? I mean, number two picks are supposed to be all-stars at some point. So you have to trust that you evaluated him right to use the number two pick on him, that if you give him enough reps and you give him enough leash, that at some point he's going to figure it out, get comfortable, get comfortable, and be as good as you thought he was going to be when you use that number two pick. Exactly. Last question for you, Don. Just on the opposite end of the spectrum, a guy who might not get drafted, but you'd know that better than than I would. Ron Baker. I mean, we we saw him really play well um, consistently throughout his college career. Another guy you describe Ulysses this way. All he did is win. I mean, we know he competes. We know he can really shoot it. Does Ron Baker have a future in the NBA? Yes. I wish he would, if he was two inches taller, we'd be talking probably you know mid to mid to twenties in the first round. But because he's only six three and a half, you know he's here's the thing. And again, going back to our point, basically this whole podcast, he's a good shooter, but he's been inconsistent at times. And I think to be a six three guy, you have to be a lights out shooter. I think he will he will become a lights out shooter because mechanically he's good. It's just I think he presses sometimes. I think he he wants it so bad that he tries too hard at times and that was my concern in him going to these team workouts is like he gets in the setting and he wants it so bad that he's just going to press and try too hard, but I will say this. What's going to get him in the door is defensively he is really good. And I want to stop short of saying really good for a white guy, but I mean, he is really good defensively, long arms, huge hands, which for those of those people listening to this, remember a guy who used to have long arms and huge hands. That's the all time steals leader in the NBA, John Stockton. Mm -hmm. And so I think Baker, it's going to be a harder road for him, but I do think that if there's a team that gives him a chance, he's going to make their team. And it's going to be one of those deals where he just continues to improve and evolve as a player. And at some point, I think he's going to be a rotation player in the NBA. Awesome. Don, thank you so much, buddy. I really appreciate it. Uh, You're the best. Really love it. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.